Our next storyteller. Next storyteller. Your next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Hello and welcome to The Narrators. This podcast collects stories from our live events where people share true stories based on a theme. Hey there, it's Ron. Today we're going to do something different for the podcast because this is the 200th episode of The Narrators. And I have to level with you, I have been dreading this moment for the last two months because I just could not decide on the best way to honor the milestone. Um, In the end, I decided that the best way to celebrate reaching 200 episodes was to pay tribute to one of the people who has made all of this possible, our producer, Sydney Crane. I sat down with Sydney this week just before our live show during the middle of that huge rainstorm earlier this week to ask her about her favorite stories and memories from her time with the show. Okay, hi. Hi. Hi, thank you for doing this. I know it's weird and awkward. You love love being put on the spot, don't you? Oh, it's my most favorite thing, Um, especially when it's storming outside. So I I wanted to talk to you for the 200th episode because you have been the driving force behind this podcast continuing to exist for the last, when did you, do you remember the first episode you helped put out? I think it was um, a Janae Burris episode. Mm. It was one a little later. It was, oh, okay. um, it was called Fallen Promises. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it yeah, was yeah, about yeah. like when she was mm-hmm. in the church and she realized that she was a hypocrite. And what I wanted to be when I was a kid, I wanted to be good. That's it. I wanted to be good. I wanted to be an adult too. I didn't want to be a kid anymore. I wanted to be an adult and I wanted to be good. I felt like I could, like that was, if I had to really narrow it down to the type of person I wanted to be, to something that God could be pleased with something my parents could be pleased with, something everyone could be happy with, I could just be good and I could focus on being good, which translated into feeling morally superior to everyone I ever met. (laughs) Completely judgmental. (laughs) Unkind, really. And disrespectful at times because I wanted to be good. And today is January 20th. Um, Today is January 20th. And in 1996, on January 20th, I can remember exactly where I was. Because when big things happen, you remember exactly where you were on random dates, January 20th, 1996. Um, I am with my friend Celestina. Her birthday is January 6th. Mine is January 26th. We decided to celebrate together on January 20th. And we're hanging out in L.A. at the Santa Monica Pier, you know, being teenagers, having a good time. And I'm halfway home, and my pager starts blowing up, you guys. Uh, my mom is blowing me up on my pager. Back to But what does she want? She knows I'm out enjoying myself, getting ready to be 16, and my pager is, pager is blowing up. We pull up. I hop out, and my mom comes running to me, and then she collapses in my arms, and she says, they killed him, Janae. They killed him. Like, who? Who? What? Mom, what are you talking about? They killed who? They killed Don. And I get a wave of relief. Don's my neighbor. Don's a drug dealer. I didn't really give a fuck. My dad had just died just a couple months before. I had no more tears. I had no tears for my drug dealing neighbor. And I had no idea why my mom collapsed and was frantic and was paging me because of Don, our drug dealing neighbor. He was murdered right next door in his home. 
He's a drug dealer. That's the way you go. And I didn't get it. Why she was so broken up about our neighbor. What's the big deal? Why she broken up about our neighbor? And all that week, my mom is in mourning for our neighbor. And she's going to cook for his family and go to all these events with his family. And, and everybody's like consoling her. And I don't get it. I'm like, what? Well, they were, what? What's going on? And, and, and then I find this new photograph in our house. Back when people used to print photographs, kids. When you, when you could touch it. When you can touch a memory. And there's this new photograph in the cabinet. It's a photo of my mom and Don in that classic, like, 90s style when you go to a concert and you pose together like you're at the prom. And they're together, like, on a date, and it suddenly hits me. Oh, my God, my mom was fucking Don. (laughs) This is her boyfriend, it turns out. And because of my, you know, my moral superiority and my, this great feeling of righteous indignation. I take the photo and I fling it into the street. Fuck that. I don't care that he's dead. Your photo's gone, mom, okay? I get it now. You were cheating with our neighbor. I get it. And you don't get to remember him. And it broke her heart so badly. She was so hurt by it. She was so hurt by that. And then I found another church to be a part of, a church that I could go to three, four times a week if I wanted to. I could hang out at the church after church. I could hang out with the people from church all the time. I was having a real great time just feeling good. I was like, this is a place where people can appreciate, you know, my moral superiority. (laughs) These are my people here. And I got deep, deep into my church, and I hated my mom, and I moved around with other family members, and I hated her. And then I got a boyfriend of my own. (laughs) I got a boyfriend, my first big girl boyfriend, and I wrote a letter to my mom to tell her that I was an adult, and I was going to have sex. (laughs) And God understands. Because I am going to be committed to this man. Do you remember the very first narrator show that you went to? Before you were a producer. Yeah. It was at the McNichols building. Mm, It was with uh, Musica Sacra Chamber Orchestra. Okay, yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Ellen K. Graham's story. Oh, me too. And I... I don't necessarily remember the content of the story. Like it was, it's been a long time, but I remember like hearing her voice for the first time. It was very memorable. It's, and it's one of those stories where it's, you can still feel it way later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Baltimore Harbor, summer, 1982. The water near the docks is crowded with boats, freckly families on sailboats, pontoons loaded up with tourists. Farther out, pleasure boats give way to industry fishermen returning from the morning trawl. Still farther, tugboats and freighters, and then just along the blurry blue line of the horizon, ocean liners. My older sister nods at me with approval as we pump our scrawny legs in their knee-high athletic socks against the foot pedals, piloting our paddleboat through the Crayola blue water. The wind ruffles my sister's feathered hair. The sea air is lusciously heavy to our mountain lungs like a too rich dessert. The sky reels with gulls. The chumps on the shore may be smothering in the July heat and humidity. 
but not us. Among the chumps on the shore are our parents, two tiny figures rapidly receding from view. We draw a parallel to a freighter painted to, painted to resemble a grinning shark, all jagged teeth and a bloody red mouth and a leering cartoon eye. I begin to notice that we are almost beyond the semicircle of the bay. I don't know what prompted us to turn around and go back, but we did. When we reached the shore, our parents were not angry. They did not lecture us about safety. They did not ask us, what were you thinking? That's not the kind of parents they were. They seemed glad we decided to come back. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. I, that feels just like yesterday. Mm-hmm. There's so many people talk about that to this day. It, yeah. was, a, it was a really incredible thing. It Very was cool. Special. Why did you come and ask to be part of the show, to like help out? You just showed up one day. And okay, I know it's totally weird that I'm interrupting myself right now, but I wanted to pause for a second to correct my faulty memory. Sydney did not show up one day out of the blue. She actually emailed us asking if we would consider giving her an internship. We had never done anything like that before, so I responded right away saying that I'd like to talk to my co hosts about it. And then I totally forgot about her email. Uh, Luckily for us, 12 days later, Sydney sent a follow-up email, and then she showed up, because she's a pro, and I thought you should know. All right, back to the interview. Andrew was moving to Los Angeles. I was feeling very untethered and worried about what was going to happen to the show, Uh, and then you just, like, appeared out of nowhere. Yeah, so honestly, Mm. like, I was, I had no idea about the scene in Denver, the comedy scene, which the narrators is, like, definitely deeply tied with. It's on our DNA. Yeah. And I was playing a lot of music at the time. Um, I was in the other black and playing a lot of shows. And I, I wanted to find a different place to put my energy and my time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You were looking for something new. I was looking for something new. um, And I don't even remember like what the words were. But I just I remember being in the back of a science class at Metro and just Googling like Denver storytelling, Denver podcast. And I found you guys and I went to a couple of shows and then I reached out. Mm-hmm. And now you're just like, it's been the best thing. You, yeah. You're, you're entirely, people don't know it because Aaron and I are always on stage, but you're, you're like there, you're the person who is always making sure things are going well and wanting to know how things are going. Uh, and yeah, I, I can't thank you enough for, for having the courage to like go and try and do that. Be like, I want to try something different and then just Google it. That's crazy. (laughs) That's so crazy. And it really helped the show so much. So thank you. And now you're going to do it again. Yeah. You're going to Vietnam. I'm going to Vietnam. I'm leaving in less than two weeks. (sighs) What stories are you going to think about when you're in Vietnam? Uh, Mm -hmm. what stories are you going to miss? Like, or storytellers you're going to want to go back to Check and listen to? Well, my favorite, favorite story is Stephen Burge, A Trip to the Star. Yeah. Um, yeah. I listened Let's, to it just last week. Did it's you, amazing. When I was a little kid, I believed a whole bunch of things that were crazy. One of the craziest things being that everybody on this earth was born as they were, and that's that's how they would spend their entire life. So I believed that some people were born kids between the ages of zero and teenager, and some people were born adults, mostly parents, and then some grandparents. 
And uh, so I, I was lucky. I had been born a kid. I didn't really have to do much. That was great. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so, so um, when people would ask me, what do you want to do when you grow up? I was like, mm, oh, it's like an imagination game. <laughs> like, if I were born a grown-up, then I would be a dinosaur. <laughs> and they would be like, well, you can't be a dinosaur because that's not a human thing, and they're extinct. And I'd be like, okay, well, you're not very good at your imagination, <laughs> so... What do you want me to be? And they'd be like, want to be an astronaut and go to space? I'm like, yep, that's great. <laughs> now, I also believed that some people thought daddies were handsome and some people thought mommies were pretty. And when I was like five or six, I got sick. Not a big sick. It's not a sad story like that. Stomach flu, ear infection. I don't know. That's fine. And, <laughs> but I had to stay home from school. And at that point in, in television history, being gay was enough to create an hour's worth of programming. So I don't know if it was Phil Donahue or Sally Jesse Raphael. It doesn't matter. My mom just let me watch that in General Hospital. Loved it. And, <clears throat> and this topic was these people, these people who I recognized had been born grown-ups, and many of them were dads who thought other dads were handsome. And I thought, oh, if I'd been born a grown-up, that's what I would be. Oh, Stephen. That's the best. So what are we going to do? I'm, I'm declaring that this episode, episode 200, is the end of the third season of, of the narrators. Okay. The preceding season has been, golly, a lot of episodes. A lot. A lot of episodes. But I'm going to stop. Uh, and we're going to take a month off. Yes. Uh, we're going to take off the month of September. I have to like regroup and figure out what to do in your absence. Um, what should we do uh, while while you're away? Well, when you regroup, mm -hmm. when you're taking the time to regroup, you should go to Skate City. <laughs> okay, go to Skate City. And relax. A skate bit. City, yeah. relax. Okay. Wiggle your booty. Okay, I like this. Yes, um, I'll bring my rollerblades. I don't know, man. I'm going to be so far away. What are you going to do? I don't... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get you an international data plan so you can text me every yeah. week. Uh, <laughs> no, no. I won't we'll square away we'll our WhatsApp. We, ha we have Karen Wachtel and Scott Jesse. Carney and Jesse Witten helping out now. That's that's huge. But yeah, we're going to have to like figure out our new groove yeah. with, a, with a new team of people. I'm excited to see what's going to happen. And then when you get back, what are we going to do? What's, what's the next plan? Oh. Uh, for the show, what do you want to do? You've always wanted to do a kids show, and we were just talking about this on Monday night, Aaron and I. Oh, really? That we would love to do it too. I really, really want to do a kids show. Um, I just love all of the special live shows because I love situations where it's just it's going to happen, and it's you can't edit it. Like you just have to, you have to march forward, and it's happening, and no regrets. Sydney, if you're listening to this, the narrators has zero regrets about saying yes to you all those years ago. You were our first intern. You helped produce over a dozen special events, over 40 monthly live shows, and 90 episodes of this podcast. Man, you sang Beauty School Dropout in front of a live audience in a tent in the parking lot of a restaurant for this show. We love you. We hope you have a fantastic time in Vietnam, and we can't wait to hear all of your new stories when you come back. 
since I'm feeling super schmoopy right now, I also want to thank everyone who has hosted and produced and volunteered and sponsored and told stories for the narrators over the last nine and a half years. If I start listing all of your names, I'll start telling stories about you, and then episode 200 will end up 200 minutes long. So I just hope you know who you are and how much you mean to me. For everyone else who's listening right now, I especially want to acknowledge you. You're the most important part of this show, more than any host or producer or storyteller, because you are the listener. You are the soil in which every great story grows. And knowing that there are still people in the world who want to listen, man, that's, that's what keeps us going. So we look forward to sharing many more stories with you in the future. The Narrators Podcast is going to take a break for the month of September, so this is a great time to go digging in our archives. And as of right now, I can say there are literally hundreds of episodes available. So go ahead, binge to your heart's content. If you're looking for a place to start, check the show notes for this episode. I'll include links to all the stories that Sydney mentioned. And even though the podcast will be on vacation, there are still two opportunities to see us live in September at our regular monthly show on September 18th and at another special event at the end of the month that we'll be announcing soon. Check our Facebook page or website for more details. Okay, that sounded a little bit like the end, and this is the longest episode we've published in years, but it feels weird not to play a full story like usual, right? So why don't we hear one? Our final story comes from musician, karaoke enthusiast, salad savant, writer, and producer Sydney Crane. Sydney told this story on June 19th, 2019 at Bumport Theater as a last-second substitute for another storyteller who called in sick. The theme of the evening was framed. It makes me feel kind of good that, like, this is last minute, so if it doesn't go well, you know, <laughs> be nice. Um, you're not going to use this for the podcast because I'm rambling a bunch. Okay, sir. So, <laughs> I'm a worrier, which is like candied terror and fear, which the last storyteller was just talking about. Um, I'm really, really good at it. Like, I'm probably better than a lot of you, but I don't want to assume. <laughs> Um, <laughs> like the ways that I've imagined the sky falling and the ground crumbling from underneath me are tremendous and like I think they're pretty impressive um, and my addiction to worrying you know like any good addictive behavior started when I was feeling really vulnerable and really powerless and I was a child, you know? That's when you feel the most powerless. Um, I feel like trying to figure out the world just like as a human in general is really scary, but even more terrifying when you're small and you're seeing everything for the first time and like learning how flawed the world is. Um, so some examples of my worrying, all right? Some examples. Um, I grew up in Oklahoma, so it's Tornado Alley, like Tulsa, Oklahoma, Tornado Alley. So, and I grew up with a single father, um, only child. So it was just me and my dad and our dog boots. Um, and I was always really worried. You know, there was always this like looming, literally like this threat looming over us that could level our house or my family. Um, and... While I never got caught in a tornado, 
I would always like glue myself to the TV and watch the tornado warnings. Um, and my dad, like, I'm sure that he was taking care of it in his own way, but he didn't like assure me that he was. So I felt like it was my job <laughs> to make sure that we got to my grandpa's house with the basement on time. Um, and one time in particular, I woke up in the middle of the night and the tornado siren was going off the wow, 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 wow. And I hopped inside of my dad's bed and I like climbed on top of his chest and he was, he's like a really heavy sleeper and he wasn't waking up. And um, I pounded on his chest like he was a little gorilla. Um, and he did not fucking wake up. And I just waited in there until the siren went off and like it was fine. Um, another example of my worry. <laughs> Um, the first time that my, the first time that someone in my life passed away was my like 90 year old step grandpa who I didn't really know, but he died of a heart attack. And after weeks of like ruminating and stewing in my worry, I asked my dad if we could please go to the doctor so that they could make sure that I was not headed for a heart attack anytime soon. Um, and also the other thing that came to mind was Every time it was New Year's Eve, my dad would get a babysitter, right? And I never wanted to go, and I never wanted my dad to go do anything else because I was convinced that at midnight, like, I wasn't a religious kid. I wasn't raised religiously. I was convinced that the rapture would happen. <laughs> and that I would get beamed up. Like, I was going to be fine. But, like, my dad, maybe not. <laughs> if I wasn't there to vouch for him. So I needed to be with him. Um, and so he went. And he was always just kind of annoyed by my worrying, to be honest. Like, he didn't look at it as care and love, which it was. Um, but, okay, so when they asked me if I had something to say, this is what I thought of, okay? So framed. Um, one particular time that I really freaked out, okay? Um, has to do with a bed frame. That's where we're going, okay? Um, my grandpa was a woodworker, a carpenter, not unlike Jesus. Um, and he, he would build me things. You know, he built me like a desk. He built me this really cool bed frame. And the top was a bunk bed, right? It was a bunk bed. The top was a bed, the bottom nothing. So I could have forts in there. I could jump off the top with a, with a sheet and jump off like it was a parachute onto all of my stuffed animals. Um, but I often would build forts underneath the bunk bed, like blanket forts out from underneath. And um, one night in particular, I had fallen asleep in my little fort bed underneath the bed I don't know what time. I was like six. I was six. And I had fallen asleep, and I woke up in the middle of the night, which I don't know what the middle of the night is to a six-year-old. Like, it might have just been 10 p.m., <laughs> you know? But it felt like I had been asleep for a long time, you know, when you wake up from being asleep for a long time, and you're disoriented, and it's really scary. Um, I woke up to get a glass of water, and I went out into the rest of the house and all of the lights were on and like they should not have been on. It was freaking weird. All of the lights were on. Um, the TV and the stereo were on. 
And I could not find my dad anywhere. Like I looked in the entire house and I could not find him anywhere. Looked in the kitchen, he wasn't there. Looked in the bathroom, he wasn't there. Looked in the office, he wasn't there. He wasn't in the living room, wasn't in his bedroom. I could not find him. Um, so I freaked out. Like that was, you know, my biggest fear was that he was gonna die or disappear or I was gonna get beamed up and he was gonna stay down here, you know, so it was bad. That was like one of my biggest fears. I flipped my shit and um, I had like a, I guess a baby panic attack. I don't know. Um, And I freaked out, looked around and I did the only thing I knew to do, which was to call my grandpa and he didn't answer because it was, I guess, the middle of the night. <laughs> and um, so I called 911, guys. <laughs> and that felt like kind of cool. <laughs> like I felt like I was taking action, like I had worried about so many things. And like here I was, like I was doing something about it, you know? <laughs> And I called 911 and I was like, and they were like, okay, okay. And I, I was six, like I was really young. I told them the address. And I also remembered our um, alarm code and I locked our dog Boots in the garage because she doesn't like strangers and she was gonna attack them. And I unlocked the door and I did the alarm, yada, yada, yada. And I waited for them to come, and they came. And they looked around the house, and they're like, oh, so your dad's not here. Could he have gone out to get cigarettes? And I was like, no, I don't think so. And they were looking around, looking around, looking around. They got to my room, and his big old feet were hanging off of my bunk bed <laughs> because he had slept walk into the top of my bed, and I didn't know because I was sleeping underneath the bunk bed. Um, and the cops tickled his feet. <laughs> and he, like, you know, it wasn't, like, in a movie or anything, but he did kick them in the face. Like, it wasn't a big deal, but he did kick them in the face. And they shined their flashlights in his face. He was like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, so... And then from then on, my dad always says that like those specific cops would drive real slow by the house when he was on the porch and honk at him and be like, hey, Brian. (laughs) Um, So yeah, like I was thinking about that today and I was like, I have a funny story about a frame that no one expects. And um, (laughs) then I was trying to extend it to get a little deeper, you know, Um, and Obviously, like, when I think about this reactivity to worry, this reactivity to uncertainty is to worry, you know? It's something that, like, on my bad days, I still do quite a bit, but I'm actively trying not to. And obviously, there's a need for reframing my lens a bit. But what's kind of cool about it when I thought back about the story is that, like, the worst thing that I had cooked up happened, like, in my mind, like, my dad was gone, you know? I thought that, I don't know what I, I thought he was dead, because that's what I did in my head. Um, And I took action, and I handled it. 
and I was six. So that's kind of cool. And it's just like, it's nice to think back on that and kind of extend it a little further is like, I can rely on myself. I don't need to, I don't need to worry to control things that are, my dad will die eventually, you know, um, worrying about it's not going to change it, but knowing that like I can, I can handle these things. I can move forward in the world and be a little bit more confident. Velvet curtains on the windows too Keeps the bright and unforgiving Life from shining through Babe, I remember all the things we did When we slept together in the wind Behind your eyelids, baby Sweet baby Trace your sin through the gloom Till I found these purple flowers I was spending time soon Smelling you for hours Lavender lotus blossoms too Water and dirt flowers last for you, baby Sweet baby Tangerines and persimmons and sugar cane Grapes and honeydew melon Both fit for a queen Lemon trees don't make a sound Branches bend and fruit falls to the ground Baby Sweet baby the Narrators was created by Andrew Orvidal and is produced by me, Ron Doyle, Sidney Crane, and Aaron Rollman with help from Karen Wachtel, Robert Rutherford, Scott Carney, and Jesse Witten. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Bumport Theatre Company, Illegal Peds, From the Hip Photo, and Great Divide Brewing Company. Our theme music is by Whalehawk, and Sydney also sang our outro music for this episode. It's a live clip from our cover story show at the Underground Music Showcase earlier this summer with the band Jobless playing backup. For more information about The Narrators, check the show notes for this episode or visit thenarrators.org. Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> Come to my world and witness The way things have changed Cause I finally did it I got out of LaGrange Got in my Mercury and drove out west Pedal to the metal and my love to the test Baby Sweet baby I've been trying to enjoy All the fruits of my labor I've been crying for you, boy Truth is my savior Baby, sweet baby, if it's all the same Take the glory any day over the fame Baby Sweet baby